1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
0: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
1: Well, welcome back to Tennis Podcast Towers at the end of day eight of the Aussie Open. It's five minutes past midnight. David's here, Matt's here. The omelette is closed for the day and on the big screen TV right in front of us here in our living area, we've got the Channel 9 app up on our smart TV and there's a big picture of Alex de Manor looking gritty and looking ready for the fight and looking ready to reach a first Australian Open quarter final and he so nearly did but he didn't and somehow that picture that we've been looking at all week now has a, a slightly haunting quality about it Matt and David you were in the in the stadium uh you were f- f- for large parts of that match on Rod Laver Arena extremely pumped and sending me um photo evidence uh of that pumpedness and you've come back a little bit flat <laughs>
2: Yes, it, it was a fantastic night. Actually, uh, uh, just the whole occasion. The the match itself was was brilliant until the fifth set when it ended six love, and I was so impressed with both players. I, I don't think I've seen either of them play quite that well. Certainly not in the flesh. And it was so impressive, so spectacular. The sheer number of lines they were hitting. And when Diminor somehow wrestled the initiative and went two sets to one up, you know, requiring two tiebreak sets to do it, I thought he'd got it. And, and I don't blame him for not winning. I, I think Rublev was responsible for that win. I think he just took it back, he just wrestled it back. I thought it was awesome.
1: But before we analyze it all, full disclosure here I did fall asleep. Uh, right at the end of the fourth set and woke up on match point in the fifth. Uh, and now I think... So it was quite a short sleep. <laughs> it really, it, it did nothing for me. It, it, it ruined me actually. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back in the game, it's all good. Uh, had a shower, we're, we're, yeah, we're cooking on gas now. Uh, but I think the reason that my subconscious allowed me to go to sleep was because I thought, even though Rublev won that fourth set he looked on the ropes physically I, I felt quite confident that Alex de Menor had him in the fifth and I woke up and it's five love and it's match points so genuinely what happened
3: Rublev was astonishingly good right at the start of the fifth set like he he won the last four points of the fourth set closed it out to love and then he won the first eight points of the fifth set so at that point he's he's won 12 points in a row and he was just awesome he just didn't allow alex dimenor to sort of do what alex dimenor does he just took over the rallies Rublev. he was hitting down the line winners off his forehand and his backhand and you know i think alex dimenor Look, it's it's so interesting. I I find him in Australia really interesting. You know, we we always joke about it, don't we? How how hyped he is at this tournament. And I think what's perhaps the reason for that is because he keeps coming into these Australian Opens over the past few years having had brilliant results at these team events in the lead-up to the tournament. And, And he looks an even better player than he is. He's already a great player, but he looks amazing at these team events. He's had wins over Djokovic and Nadal in the last couple of years. But he's not had a moment at the Australian Open ever. He's only ever beaten one player ranked higher than him at the Australian Open. And that was when he was sort of, you know, early days of his career when he was ranked 300 and something in the world. He beat Gerald Meltzer, who was ranked higher than him.
1: Not well, even Jürgen not Meltzer. Not
2: even Jürgen. Is this not Matt stat? No. I mean, that tells me something because that is an amazing stat right. in itself.
3: The highest ranked player he's ever beaten at the Australian Open was Matteo Arnaldi, who he beat the other day. So he's not had that moment here in the way that he's had that moment at the United Cup and at the ATP Cup. Even in Davis Cup, you know, he's been the guy for Australia. And I thought tonight was going to be the night when he went two sets to one up. I really did. He was awesome to win to win that, um, well, to win both those tie breaks in the second and third set. And I just think that, I don't think he panicked because I agree with David. I, I really don't think he did too much wrong. I think Rublev took it from him but i think once he went to break down in that fifth set it got away from him a little bit quickly and it, it wasn't a physical thing because he was really sp- physically strong as you said it just maybe maybe mentally just wasn't quite as engaged or focused or ready for that fifth set as rublev was and rublev was just on it and um we actually we actually ducked out at 5 love so we could get the uh the I early, wondered
1: how you got in that car so quickly. We could get the
3: early car home because you know it was done by that and I really wasn't expecting that. I thought it was going to be nip and tuck all the way like like so many of the sets had been but mm. it was it was a an acceleration from Rublev which is one of the things that we always want to see from him and I think I think we did see it there. It was brilliant.
1: He has got better hasn't he Rublev? Kind of without us really noticing he's definitely an improved tennis player because he for for a lot of people us included I think was in the category of he's very very good he's doing his thing he's going to keep doing his thing Um, there's no shortcuts against him but there's a ceiling and I do I don't think it's a you know a 180 rebrand but subtly I think he's made some subtle improvements that are making quite a big difference
2: yeah, I, I, absolutely. Because the the form that he had in sets two and three and that Dimonor was able to just about usurp in those two sets, that was not probably going to get it done in the fourth set. Mm. He had to produce something else and it was a proper surge. Um, he just started to... Well, he hit so many lines for a start. I mean, that's what, what was, was astonishing watching them is the way neither one of them gives ground. They just stand mm. on that baseline. It, it
1: was video game tennis, it wasn't
2: it? truly was. A fast um, twitch back mm. and forth. Yeah. And I think maybe uh, tactically, I think perhaps Dimonor maybe needed to change that a little more. Uh, I, I definitely kept saying, I think he should be going to the net more because he volleys well and he could crowd he Rublev. He does volley well. And I, I thought he was missing a trick, but at the same time I was thinking, yeah, but he's two sets to one up. So I can, you know, guess maybe I'm not right. But I feel like when he needed to change it, when it was going against him, that was probably the move. But the Rublev surge was a thing tonight. And it, you're right, I don't, I don't tend to think of him as able to do that and uh, and he did it in spite of the crowd there was there was not a seat spare it was, it was it was electrifying in there it's the first time i've had chance to sit in those seats all fortnight and uh it was a pleasure to do so um and trying to understand being in there you get the sense of what it's like to be rublev and have to deal with all these people not wanting you to, not wanting you to win if he loses his temper they boo him and hiss him and take the piss out of him and 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 he's He's having to just stomach that and rebound, and, and I, he did it.
1: Yeah, w- w- when the Aussie crowd were doing the pantomime booing and hissing of Rublev, I felt like, look, it, no secret, I love all that stuff, you know, provided it's the right side of the line. Generally, I love it, but I, I did feel like wanting to run on the court and intervene and say, don't you realise this guy has chronic lack of self-belief. He has chronic lack of self-esteem. Don't... You've got the wrong guy. guy. <laughs> You've got the wrong guy. Don't... <laughs> not him. Um I did... Oh, my my heart does just break a little bit for him. And he did his on-court interview with Jim Currier and it was all classically Andre Rublev, just absolutely not hyped on himself at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jim Currier shouldn't be more hyped about you than, than you are, but that's just... It's just him, isn't it? There was um, there was a line that Hannah uh, picked up on from that interview that just so perfectly sums it up. B- better not to be inside myself, <laughs> said Andrei Rublev. Uh, relatable stuff, as always. And I really, as much as I'm talking about Andre Rublev 2.0, and I really do believe that this is something different we're seeing from him, I still do believe he is going to bust up against the quarter-final ceiling because of the section of the draw he's in. I do believe that there are other quarter-finalists, there are going to be other quarter-finalists that he could potentially break down that barrier against, but not Yannick Sinner.
2: Not now. Not not based on what we saw today from, from Sinner. I mean, you you were on the court, mat from start to finish. I, I watched a fair bit of it and that that was a match to perfectly encapsulate his progression because it's been a a really tough rivalry with karen hatchinov in the past who is just mr beefcake isn't he as a, <laughs> as a tennis player and, and it reminds me of when he faced i think he faced Djokovic at uh, the french open and i and i thought at the time well here's a test for Djokovic; it's it's clay Hashinov can heave his forehand and just he looks so on it, and yet it was it was a handy victory for Djokovic, and tonight or today the same thing happened against Yannick Sinner, and that is the ultimate compliment for Sinner. You could properly compare him to Djokovic today, dealing with a really tough opponent and dealing with him efficiently and devastatingly.
3: Yeah hard agree to all that um rublev 2.0 is is good but not as good as post puke sinner (laughs) like that guy is something else watching him up close today like i know he just hits the crap out of the ball and that in itself is an amazing thing to watch but it's actually it's actually really smart I think a lot of what he does with the ball. Like he does mix up the pace sometimes. He's pulling the trigger at the right times. He's not just always going for it. Um he's 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 developed a bit of a backhand slice which served him well today. There's a few drop shots in there. He hits with angles. Like it's all so within his control and it's all just so right and he, look he he is really so far anyway, carried on the form that he that he had at, at the end of last season and, and sort of shown that this is a, a true evolution. Um, the sort of one the one tight period of the match really was the end of the second set and Hachnoff played this incredible shot to win a really long rally. And then he did a Vade Djokovic thing sinner and he won like the next eight points in a row to sort of win the set and um yeah I was just so impressed I, I love the energy in his box you know they're not too high not too low they're but they're right there with him the whole match um yeah I was I was so impressed and it was it was fun being on on the court you know you you realize the that the Yannick Sinner sort of viewing experience that people in the crowd are having you know they're gasping mid-rally at at, at some of the shots that he's hitting It it, it really is quite something and I think Rublev will do better than Alex Dimonor would have done. Like, Sinner absolutely crushes Dimonor. He tends to beat Rublev, but they do tend to be a bit tighter. Um, But honestly, I'm I'm so desperate for Sinner Djokovic right now. So desperate for it.
1: Yeah, well, the good news for you, Matt, is Andre Rublev. By the sounds of things, gives himself absolutely no chance whatsoever. <laughs> um, asked by Jim Currier in the on-court interview, uh, I, I missed. I missed this. I must have been having my uh, needing to wake up to record a podcast cold shower. Uh, he was asked about facing Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals. Rublev goes, "I don't know. It looks like I'm in trouble." <laughs> Doing he's, the
3: analysis for us, he's yeah, not
1: doing the hype job for us, but do, doing the analysis. How can for you us. not love him? Everyone does, don't they? Everyone
2: does. It, just on and, and look, just to flesh out the. It looks like I'm in trouble. I, I think a, you couldn't really hit the ball better. I don't think pretty much than Rublev did tonight, but Sinner hits it differently. Sinner hits it with with spin that can get him out of the court. And mm-hmm. Diminor just cannot do that. Yeah. His flat ground strokes are spectacular, but they're in straight lines. They're like arrows. Whereas you can just imagine Sinner loading up on the spin, get him out there, and then pull the trigger down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's it's a different level.
1: So Rublev against Sinner in two days' time. The other quarterfinal on the men's side set up today is Novak Djokovic against Taylor Fritz. You'll notice we are no longer leading the podcast with Adrian Manorino. That, <laughs> folks, was probably a one-time only thing. Adrian, I hope you've enjoyed your moment in the sun. <laughs> yeah.
3: Turns out that, uh, as I did for my stat the other day, being the being the oldest ever guy to win three <laughs> consecutive five-set matches, doesn't serve you particularly well for your fourth one, especially when you're playing Novak Djokovic. Is
1: is that what was going on today? Would a fresh Adrian Manorino have done much better? He'd have done better, like than I'd... love, love and two, three. A, th- sorry, three. <laughs> it's a low barb.
2: Don't take one of his yeah. games how, away. How, he worked hard for that how game. How
1: much? Yeah, which is annoying because when you've got a love and love on your hand, the only salvageable thing from the match is a triple bagel. <laughs> That's what we're all here for now. As yeah. at, and he denied us Wait. even that.
3: <laughs> Did you hear Djokovic say that he actually wanted to lose the game? Yes. Because he felt that the tension in the stadium was getting, was getting too much. And, and even he was stressing out and he said, I'll give him the game and then reset and start again and just start crushing him again. It's a great, great line. It was line, a really that. good line. Um, I, I do think all those matches in Manorino's legs were a factor. But like I think he probably would have got about, you know, six or seven games. Like I I really don't think it would have been close, but I'd certainly think he was just he was occasionally playing some nice points, but he was he was flat in compared to how he how he had been. I mean I know he's he's never he's never hyped, is he? But um <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, he is when he's doing his T shirt cannon thing. Yeah, right.
3: But during the matches
1: no <laughs> um, he one of Adrian Manorino's things one of you know sort of a it's just a perfectly typical Adrian Manorino uh feature is that he doesn 't have a kit sponsor um it doesn't have you know he wears a t shirt from the local supermarket. He wears shorts from the nineties. Someone tell Adrian Manorino that short shorts are back because mm. he hasn't heard.
2: Nothing wrong with the nineties. <laughs> or
1: doesn't care. Um, and he has no he doesn't even have patches on his kit, you know, the the embroidered little sponsor patches. But Gino Famous, uh, pa- famous patch sponsors of various French tennis players uh, and others, they heard about Adrian's big Rod Laver Arena assignment today and they got in on the uh, tequila fun times just in time for his Love, Love and 3 defeat. <laughs> it,
2: just to... looked, it looked so wrong, haven't it? It looked so wrong. It.
1: it was so clearly last minute. Yeah. That things were hanging off <laughs> his sleeve. It looked
2: like it had been blue tacked on. It
1: looked like my uh, GCSE textiles project. <laughs> Which, actually, my mum ended up doing for me. Thanks, <laughs> thanks mum. I did, the, I did the... What was por- it? I did the portfolio. My mum actually made the thing. What, what was about-
3: the thing? What did you have to make?
1: It was a cheerleading outfit. I told, it was in my Americana phase that we discussed <laughs> last night. What are you saying about your mum's sewing? It was great. I got an A.
2: Well, Andrew Manarino wasn't getting an A.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was that was what the project was like before my mum intervened. Oh, was quite hard for GCSE. Good rescue. Yeah, Catherine. I didn't, I, I didn't want to have to do textiles GCSE, but there was a rule at my school that you had to do something useless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there I was sewing, um, or outsourcing sewing to my mum. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my mum would have done a far better job <laughs> of Adrian Manorino's sleeve patches. Um, it, uh, David and I were, were at the flat while this match was on and uh, there were a couple of other matches on at the same time, most notably Irina Sabalenka and Amanda Anisimova, which were mostly taking our attention. And I saw some some tweets going around about how ill and unhappy and not himself Novak Djokovic looked and I said David we should we should probably switch over here there's 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 things happening switched over 6 love 2 love
3: <laughs> Who were these people P- People
1: are still saying it people are, are still saying that jo- Novak Djokovic is not right I mean
3: I think he's still a bit under the weather mm. I, I do think that is true he's still, he's still with his tissues and you know still uh, he doesn't it doesn't look quite right but his tennis in the last two rounds has been very it, different it's to focused what it was him, yeah.
1: i think hasn't it but a lot of people pointing to seeming tension with goran ivanovic
2: yeah I, just, I i just don't see that as being a factor in in the slightest i think that that's just what their relationship is like and he feels able to let off steam in Goran's direction and Goran gives it him back and that's mm. all I think there is to it. Um in Courier did actually ask him about how he's feeling, you know, and, and that he looked like he'd been under the weather the last few days and he, he was very quick to to kind of quash that mm. idea that it was causing any issue at all. Um well, I take that as you as you like. But uh but I I'm not worried for him at all. Um, I, I think that I, I'm, I'm like Matt. I just want to see the matches that are scheduled based on seedings. If he plays Sinner, I don't think there'll be any excuses either side unless something happens between now and then because they both look right where they need to be.
1: It's Taylor Fritz in the quarterfinals for Novak Djokovic. He beat Stefanos Tsitsipas. Today, in four sets, apparently his girlfriend is going to eat a whole tub of Vegemite.
3: Which is actually the same content idea that we had for David. We didn't
2: say a whole tub. <laughs> I said I might try a little bit of it. It looks awful.
3: Well, to be fair, Morgan looks like she's regretting saying a whole tub.
1: Yes, she's memed herself today, hasn't <laughs> she? With I mean, go on the internet. You'll, you'll find out what's <laughs> up. Uh, she did a... She, during the on-court interview, she she used her fingers to ind- indicate that she meant a small tub, not a large tub. Right. Right. Yeah. Taylor Fritz, four sets over Stefanos Um Who's got things to say about this? Good match. Really good
3: match. Like, better than I was expecting. I, I, I was a bit sort of worried about both of their form, I suppose. Um but actually, it was, it was really good, and Fritz, Fritz played extremely well. Uh, he served incredibly well the whole match, and he hit his backhand in the final set incredibly, like so many winners on that side. Um,
1: I was going to ask you about his backhand today, actually. It was great. I know you don't have or believe in a men's <laughs> list, but I felt like he made a play for it today. He's always had a,
3: he's always had a really reliable mm. backhand. Um, oh,
1: that's damning by faint praise, isn't it?
3: <laughs> that's,
1: that's Matt's way of saying, no, thanks. It
3: doesn't
2: do things for you. No,
1: it doesn't. It
3: doesn't move me. Okay. But it's it's a hell of a shot. Um, the thing about Fritz now is he is he's reached back-to-back slam quarterfinals. And that's notable because he used to go out of these slams really early. He He has started to get better at winning the matches he should win at slams. This was his first ever top 10 win. At a slam, so you could say probably, you know, one of the best wins of his career. Although, you know, there's a little bit of an asterisk, I suppose, beside Sitsupas. At the moment, he doesn't he doesn't quite feel like a top ten player. In fact, if Alex Menor had won tonight, Sitsupas would have dropped out of the top ten. Um, but I was impressed with Fritz, and I, I do think it's slightly unfortunate, but also a sign of the times and a thing that you know he's not the first piece, person to run into this that his first, you know, his, his two Grand Slam quarterfinals that he's made recently, US Open and here, he's got Novak Djokovic in the quarters both times. Um, and obviously that's that's unfortunate, but it can happen. And I suppose that just colours my view of this match because I, I didn't see the winner being able to trouble Djokovic. You know, he's, he's 0-8 against Djokovic, is, is Taylor Fritz. In fact, it was here that he played his best or closest match ever against Djokovic in that one where the curfew came in halfway through. But I was impressed with him today. And if he he's going to need to play like he did today and then some to have any chance against Djokovic. But he, in the moment, that's a good win for him against Tsitsipas. Although, you know, Tsitsipas, I think, played pretty well, but is not the same Tsitsipas... As 12 months ago, who was who was reaching the final here?
1: He really doesn't feel like a top 10 player to me, Stefano Sitsapas, Right now, he just doesn't. I, I mean, actually, maybe that's half harsh. I think. Look, I do. I do think he's going to hang around in the in sort of five five to 12 in the world, um, j- just on the basis of his talent and ability and what he's developed up to now in his game but he does feel like an irrelevance now to me at the top
2: Uh, I I do feel that I'd like him to find a way to reset and if that means taking time off and resting and figuring out his injury issues the niggles that he's got getting a new perspective in some way on his game by playing all the time the way he does i just it just feels like rinse and repeat his I, game at the moment
1: i don't think any of that is possible within the setup that he has in his tennis life i think it's
2: chaos and he just seem he does seem to just keep trundling along on the tour mm. and and i don't see any urgency to think that there's a need to do much about it that and I'm only saying that from the outside. I realize I don't know what conversations happen on the inside. But I see the the number of tournaments he enters, how little progress it feels like he's making. In fact, it feels like regression. And the results would support that. You know, he didn't used to lose to Alexander Zverev. He got absolutely hammered by him at the, at the United Cup the other day. Taylor Fritz is a good player. But pass was in the group with Medvedev between the Fritzes and the big 3 that's yeah. where he was he, uh, yeah. and he's not there anymore and that that's that's quite sad to see and 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 look he's young enough to be able to come again but i don't see him just doing what he's doing now and it's suddenly changing
1: and i i i i feel like we're judging him by his own standards here because there are players that would be content to sort of just ride their talent and be top 10 player hang around the top 10 because that's a fun life isn't it and you're going to win a lot of tennis matches and make a lot of money and that's fantastic and maybe you don't want to do the extra five percent required to totally max out your career or 10 percent or whatever it might be we know that Stefanos Tsitsipas isn't that guy he was a factor genuine factor for long enough that we know who he is and we know that this iteration of himself is going to leave him with regrets I think later in later in life which is why it just fills me I feel a little bit sad watching him there was a a point in I think the last game of this match final point was it the very last mm-hmm. point um, where Taylor Fritz is already a break-up. so he's it, Sitsipas is serving, and he's serving to 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 stay in it, and uh, he goes break point, which is also match point down. It just it, it's it's foregone conclusion territory here, and everybody watching feels that. But this is Stefanos Sitsipas, last year's finalist, this the you know the guy that's basically a home player in Australia. You know there are so many Greek fans. This is pretty much as close as he'll ever get to a, well, it is as close as he'll ever get to a home ground slam, and he charges into the net in a pretty ill advised way, and it, it's not a, it's not a great approach drop. It's a shot. It sits up for Taylor Fritz to hit, and he does a sort of comedy gesture with his arms, sort of like, oh, uh, sort of flailing like oh. There's nothing I can possibly do here. Have have the whole court to hit into.
3: I think he was trying to distract Fritz. Do you? Yeah, it, it was a it was a putting his arms up in the air as Fritz was about to hit the ball.
1: I read it as a waving a white flag, but he did have his it back to me. Of, I was at the far end of the court. It, it
3: was sort of both. Like I think he knew the point was up, so the only right. thing that he could possibly do was right. do something to catch Fritz's attention and try and make him miss
2: it was one of those
1: it made me sad
2: yeah yeah it does it it, it's it is it is a shame to see him in this situation because he was he's such a bright addition a few years ago and and even much more recently than that too um and I, and i hope he can find a way
3: i think that word you use chaos is is the word because he is he is doing some things that suggests that he is aware of some of the issues that he's having and he is trying to make some improvements in his game. Look we we talked about his serve. He's he's trying a new technique and he's also been using some new strings during the off season. You know, I think maybe all of this is to try and protect his body, help his body just try and make him better. But it's it's not done in a sort of way that gives you much confidence that it's going to work or is being done in the right way like just the perfect comparison to me is Yannick Sinner everything has been so organized and thought through and planned out and methodical and look maybe we were guilty of criticizing Sinner a little bit for being a bit too process driven a bit too slow what well, not slow but a bit too sort of Low with his ambitions, all that. But he had a plan, and that plan has been in place, and it is being imp- implemented, and we're seeing the rewards now. And like that is a perfect tennis team that seems to be together there right now. That is the complete opposite of what's of what's happening with Sitsipasi. Maybe trying things, but not in a manner that gives you much confidence that they're really well thought through. And um, it's a shame, and I, I can't see it changing unless there's monumental change in his in his team and yet i don't think there's going to be monumental change in his team because mm. it's his it's his dad and it's
2: just um on fritz very quickly i really hope that 08 record you say you mentioned i very much expect it to be 09 by the end of it but i hope he comes out without the shackles on and just takes him on and believes because he, his body language at that US Open match, and, and he played one in the summer before it, he walks onto the court looking beaten. And he, and he said that in his press conference. Really?
3: He said, I wasn't good the last couple of times I've played Djokovic. I know that. He cites the match he played against him in Turin in, I think, 2022, wasn't it? Which was with, with the noise
1: from the crowd yeah, that, well... that Netflix made out <laughs> lost him the match. <laughs> um, and it, it, it might have done. I think Djokovic lost in the match, um, but it was a factor, and he did. He played really well. He did. against him. Yeah, Djokovic had to pretty much bring out his best stuff to beat Taylor Fritz that day.
3: Yeah, so he, you know, he, he he's aware of that. I think um, that's good. But it's a different thing, isn't it, when you get out there and. You know he served. He served like a dream today. He could serve really well against Djokovic and get his serve broken in the you know in the first game. And that seems and to be what happens like... a
2: lot. You know he gets a like it's like a boxer getting nailed in the first round, and it just really shakes them up, and they they can't get mm. their composure anymore. Mm. I I hope he plays well.
1: Yeah. These are bad hype jobs for these quarterfinals, <laughs> guys.
2: Tell you what, you wait till the semifinals hype. Though. Yeah, we've got, I'm we've got saving I'm in up tru- my hype.
1: I'm in trouble and a sort of sad... I, I just hope he plays well. <laughs> it's going to be great, guys. Do tune in to the preview pod.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This
1: edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing.
3: Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro.
1: And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis
2: history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam the strategy of the clay court tennis the way it challenges players and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players i cannot wait
1: be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on monday may the 20th subscribe to tennis channel plus to stream daily coverage of roland garros use promo code tennis pod 20 for 20% off your annual subscription We're going to talk about the women's quarterfinals that were set up today. I'm going to try and do a better hype job, but before that, I am going to tell you about On Location, the premium hospitality and experience experience provider. provider that we're proud to be sponsored by throughout this Australian Open. I've been telling you all about the Olympic Games hospitality packages that On Location have for you uh, available. If you're interested, I've been telling you about those throughout the course of this week. I'm now going to tell you, I'm now going to FOMO myself with some other stuff. <laughs> uh, On Location uh, has ticket hospitality travel packages available for the following. BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells, the Miami Open in Miami, uh, the Madrid Open in Madrid, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, the US Open and the Labour Cup. And crucially, we have a 10% discount for tennis podcast listeners on all 2024 Roland Garros official VIP ticket packages, courtesy of Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours. Now, those packages include lots of fun things, of course, Tickets in great seats on Court Philippe Chateau, but also uh, detailed here, access to La Mezzanine at L'Orangerie. Now, I think L'Orangerie uh, is where the draw is held. I think that is the official ooh-la-la room.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. That was amazing.
1: The official room of, what was the name of the rugby player that I thought it it. Won a competition. To...
3: <laughs> Antoine Dupont.
1: Antoine Dupont. That's him. Yeah. Mm. That room, guys, you could get tickets to the French <laughs> Open and you could be in that room, but not sitting there wondering who the... the um,
3: <laughs> best rugby player in the world is. <laughs> best <laughs>
1: rugby player in the world <laughs>
3: who is. Who I was about to call
2: Francois. You, well.
1: <laughs> uh, you could be enjoying lovely French Open hospitality. Cocktails or d'oeuvres. Uh, A contemporary and refined setting can confirm. Uh, So all of that is available. And of course, there is that 10% discount code. So to buy an official VIP ticket package to Roland Garros and take advantage of that discount code, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis, uh, forward slash dot... Oh, I've got it wrong. I hear this. I hear this URL in my... Sleep, how can I get it wrong? (laughs) Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast and use the discount code, listen up here, Clay Season, C-L-A-Y-S-E-A-S-O-N at checkout, terms and conditions apply. Now, on to the women's quarterfinals that were set up today. We're going to have a Barbora Krejcikova against Arena Sabalenka quarterfinal. Sabalenka against Anisimova was the first women's match of the day that we all tuned into, paid full attention to. Some of us were on court for. Matt, your report?
3: Well, a slightly disappointing contest, I would say, in that <laughs> it wasn't much of one. <laughs> um i made my way to the second court and honestly there was this kid in front of me who was really annoying me he kept cheering amanda nissima over backhand errors at one stage he said she needs to play with the tram lines in which was
1: absolutely savage that's like and bowling with those stupid um bumpers bumpers (laughs) up down the side if you're an adult that bowls with the bumpers up, you, you, you're not an adult anyway. Carry mm, on, man.
2: Noted. So, unless
1: so, you're at a children's birthday, a children's party.
2: Oh, I feel better. Okay.
3: So you know, I was, i was slightly, I was in a bit of a bad mood. Put it that way, because I wanted to just be watching the backhand in, in peace. <laughs> um, but how old
1: was the child?
3: Old enough to know better.
2: <laughs> Did you do lots of tutting?
3: <laughs> I tweeted about him. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying so hard to be the bigger man. but
1: Matt texted the group and said, there's some really bad parenting going on
3: here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what I would say is, look, Anisimova's had a great comeback. She's won three matches. It's been a really good tournament for her, I think it exceeding expectations. I think there was great excitement for this match because of the head to head the fact that Anisimova had, had had dominated it, including on that court in the past. But we saw you know, kinda of like what we're saying about Yannick Sinner, we saw a different player to who she used to be. She is phenomenal when she's in that mood, like I think to really trouble Sabalenka you've got to you've got to get a lot of balls back you've got to put balls in awkward spots you've got to try and make her malfunction a bit think Coco Goff in the in the US Open final using that athleticism to extend rallies that is not Anisimova's game and Sabalenka just overwhelmed overpowered didn't really allow the Anisimova game to start flowing she was she was brilliant, quite frankly, Sabalenka, as she has been all tournament. Uh, so, yeah, I, I left I left the court just, you know, a, a bit sad that I hadn't seen the best of Anissa Mova in that match, but just blown away and in awe of some of the tennis that Sabalenka can produce. She's been awesome.
1: I spent a lot of this match just sort of jaw on the floor at the tennis Arena Sabalenka is playing, but also thinking this woman lost a six-love set to Elena Rabakina two weeks ago today, I think it was. Elena Rabakina, who lost two rounds ago, obviously still a brilliant player and played brilliantly that day. As Matt said a few days ago, that is about as flawless a performance as you will see all year. But how does Arena Sabalenka lose a six love set. Like that I it just doesn't doesn't really compute with me given the tennis the tennis that she's playing. It just doesn't I'm not saying she's unbeatable. I'm saying I just don't understand how she loses a six love set. It looks to me like she's through four rounds against the opposition that she's faced like she's playing a different sport.
2: Yeah, she's plugged in to another level. I think that's the, the the facts of it all. Yes, Rebecca was awesome that day, but it was also not this Sabalenka. She has, I, I'm always uh, blown away by how she handles great shots coming at her mm-hmm. when she's in this form. She can turn somebody else's weapon, a backhand from a or, a or a big shot from somebody else, and just hit a clean winner off it, no matter where it is. It, it could come straight down the centre of the court where she's got no angle to work with. She was still hitting winners from those positions. So hard to do. You know, it's often it's easier if you are taken out wide or whatever. She's one heck of a player. But not just power. There's, she's got hands. She's got everything, really, as a, a sort of classic big strike ball-striking player and, and, and more when she's absolutely on it and and i don't think i've seen her at a grand slam looking better than this
1: it feels to me like the only thing that can beat her is demons not alex de
2: menor. <laughs> <laughs> what about coco goff
1: well see demons
2: mm.
1: coco goff is a demon
2: because she's the player that beater at the US Open at
1: the US Open and in this is a, an incredibly reductive take on on that US Open final um and not not necessarily the right one but in certainly in Sabalenka's mind she should have won that match um and yeah i i think i think it's possible she will cease to play this well if she takes on a match where the demons are there in her mind. I don't know. But it it definite possibility.
3: Oh, and, and we've seen it so, so often. many like times. Last year's Australian Open Final is actually the outlier. You know, if you, you go back to some of the US Open semifinals she's played, the US Open Final she played, uh, the Wimbledon semi-final she played last year, the the Roland Garros semi final she played last year, like lots of great tennis, but also loads of unforced errors
2: in big moments and and not producing her best in those biggest moments on the biggest stages where the title or the final yeah, is on the line exactly so I, uh, exactly as you said she's looking incredible
3: I don't think she's ever looked this good through the first four rounds of, of a slam but it's not really where the tournament's won and lost for mm. Sabalenka she's been so consistent at slam she's constantly getting to the latter stages and her conversion rate in those latter stages isn't amazing, because because of what happens to her in those big matches. So that's why I'm still, you know, I would ne- I would never say our oh, Sabalenka's in this form she's gonna win the Australian Open because it can go off. We've seen it. And Coco Goff, as you said, can can make it happen.
1: I yeah. Think. It'll be Barbara Krejcikova in the quarterfinals. Coco Goff would be Sabalenka's projected semi final opponent. Krejcikova beat Mira Andreva today, came from a set down six, uh, 4 6 6 3 6 2, ending Andreva's incredible run. I commentated on this match. Um, it wasn't the match that I was expecting at all. It was it was weirdly flat on the john cane arena it it was it followed the Fritz Sitter pass match on, and I think that was kind of long and absorbing and a lot of people left um and they kind of did filter back in but John kane arena when it's when it 's rocking it's great, but when it's flat, it is quite flat and kind of cavernous the The crowd are really far away from from the court, incredibly different to court three where Andreeva played her last match and it's all very um, cosy and hot boxy. You know, it keeps the atmosphere in. Uh, so it, it felt a bit flat. It felt incredibly slow. A lot of a lot of people, including the pundits I was with, Daniela Hantakova and Andrea Pekovic, say John Kane Arena does play slower than all the other courts. And it was cold today. I know absolutely nobody back home in the uk right now or on the east coast of the us wants to hear people in melbourne complain about uh 17 degrees celsius <clears throat> um but for aussie summer it was friggin freezing today <laughs> matt had two jumpers on <laughs> uh and, and was still extremely cold uh and god it, it really did look slow and it was a it was a tough scene, that first set, I've got to say, for, for both players. It was pretty low quality. Um, and I, look, I was really impressed with Maria Andreva for winning it because winning ugly is a heck of a skill and a heck of a feather in your cap to, to have at such a young age, especially after having had that perfect performance against Jabur to to sort of come to terms with... You know, I can imagine after that you just think, oh, well, I'm just, you know, this is what I do now. I just am brilliant. I'm the bomb. All the time. So to sort of just dig her heels in and grit out a really ugly set, I thought, good on you, that's great. Um, But then she, she did start to flag physically. I think it just was all a bit much for today. Very understandably, you know, it was a... It was a draining match a couple of days ago, coming from five on down, saving match points. I'm sure the last couple of days afterwards and the couple of days before that, after the incredible Jabur demolition, were draining off court. And uh, I think it's very understandable that it all came to a head today. Quite interestingly, she, in her Post-match press conference. This is an amazing little insight. She she basically said she thought the two and O head-to-head that she has against or had against Krenchikova before the match day that basically hurt her, especially after winning the first set. I think she basically said she got a bit complacent, and that could be a reason for why she got flattened, de-energized out there. She she thought she had her you know, she's 16, she's beaten her twice, she's won the first set, and like, oh yeah, like, of course I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I play Barbora Krejcikova. Um And it, yeah, I, I think that contributed to her not being able to energize herself when when it started to get away from her. And P.S. Krejcikova did start playing so much better. It's like she remembered, oh, I've got, big weapons. I've got a really great forehand and a really great backhand and I should just hit those shots and go for winners. Oh, this is good. I'm winning points. Great. Uh, And she did look... She looked really, really good. Um, She beat Sabalenka last year on a hard court. She also lost to Sabalenka quite a lot last year. Um, I think Sabalenka's going to win that.
2: Yeah, I mean... I don't get great vibes really from Kritika that she's feeling fantastic about her game or that much of being a top player at the moment. She, she, it's, it all seems quite a strain. Um, and listen, everybody's different, but I've seen her in interviews before, and and I've seen her on court a lot before, and and she certainly seemed in a better place to me in the past. Um, but that being said, she's still here. She's still in the quarterfinals, and that's a that's good going. But I agree. I, 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 whereas I can, I can imagine a scenario where Coco Golf beats Arena Sabalenka. I can't really imagine mm. it happening here.
1: I think she's a, she's a bit disillusioned with what being a Grand Slam champion has meant for her. Do you know what I mean?
2: Do, do you mean? I think
1: she thought life would change more that her status in the sport would
2: change more do you feel like she's she might reckon that she hasn't really been given the dues that quite possibly
1: yeah and that could end up being a good thing a chip on the shoulder is an is an incredible source of fuel in sport and i think particularly in tennis we have seen players power themselves to greatness with a chip on their shoulder
2: i I also think she feels a bit Burns from what I've heard, one or two things I've heard her say in the last six or eight months. Based on the, th- because she said that line that we often refer to about how she feels like she should be part of a, or wants to be part of the Big Four kind of thing. um I feel like, and then it didn't happen. It really, you know, it really, she fell off a cliff in form terms after that. I think she feels a bit embarrassed that that it often gets referenced now. Um and yeah, I think she's probably it probably makes you a little bit circumspect about saying much at all. In some interviews, you do see that with players. I don't know. I am only speculating because I haven't spoken to her about it. But um, I do like Barbara Critchiver, and, and I like I love the fact that she's a great doubles player who's become a really top singles player, and and is able to play them both at that sort of level. And and I'm happy she's back at an important stage of a Grand Slam. And it'll be interesting to see if she can push Sabalenka or take her out.
1: Thank you for salvaging some sort of hype job for that quarterfinal, David. <laughs> Let's see what you can do about Coco Goff against Marta Kostyuk. Both these two won incredibly comfortable today. In fact, they lost the same number of games. Kostyuk 6-2, 6-1 over Maria Timofaeva, the qualifier. And Coco 6 six one six two against Magdalena Freck. Um Gough was sensational, I thought. Absolutely sensational. Mm-hmm. All these seeds falling by the wayside and she's now she's become a banker.
2: She she managed to get that job done in the space of my nap. <laughs> so you two better tell me all
3: about it. Yeah, she, she, she was very impressive, and, and and there was this new feel to the tournament today, you know, waking up after Igor fiontek has gone out, and everyone knows how open that, that top half is, but I suppose if you're in the bottom half, you've just got to, you know, it doesn't change that much for you right now. You've just got to take care of your own business, and she did that brilliantly. I think it was her best performance so far. Sort of all aspects of her game were good. It's just so interesting to me, the Coco Gauff experience at this grand slam is totally different to the one we just had at the US Open where she is the star she is scheduled in the night sessions most of the time the days revolve around Coco Gauff and she's playing all the time because she's playing doubles as well you know here she's not playing doubles because Jessica Bagula pulled out she's playing the first match of the day on the Rod Laver Arena which you know isn't isn't the biggest slot by any means And I don't feel like Australia really, I don't know, knows Coco Golf all that much yet. This is her first real run here. You know, she's been, she made her breakout at Wimbledon. She's been to the French Open final. Obviously, we know she's won the US Open. Like, it just is totally different. And I think Goff is quite enjoying it. I think she's enjoying how relaxed and low-key it is compared to... New York you know she went to the cinema this afternoon and did things that she just wouldn't normally do she had a cardio session after she'd beaten Magdalena Freck oh that's a that's a burn isn't it right (laughs) (laughs) she's she's just you know it's been much more relaxed and I think I think she's enjoying that and um I think it could serve her in in good stead for this this tournament going forward do we know what she saw at the cinema that's all she saw um, that new film that Zac F. runs in.
1: Yeah.
2: Iron Claw? Claw.
1: I think it's about wrestling. Oh,
2: good. Iron yeah. like Wrestling. Like WWE or like Olympic wrestling? Um,
3: I don't think it's WWE. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think there are a disproportionate number of wrestling films in, in the world. It's quite a popular form. There was of... The Wrestler.
3: Yeah. And Bruce there was Springsteen soundtrack.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Great song. Yeah, that is a great song. If you ever uh, uh, um no I was just started to do lyrics. Um the, and then and then no, this isn't a film podcast. Gonna, gonna, <laughs> no. Uh it, it's described as sports slash thriller the genre. I think you'd like it, David. I'm pumped. It's Jeremy Allen White and Zach Efron.
2: I know one of those.
1: He's in, um, Jeremy Allen White is in um, The Bear, which mm-hmm. I've recommended to you before. So you'll yeah. probably watch it in about 12 years' time. <laughs>
2: some on my list with the other mm. 60.
1: Coco uh, Goff will face Malta Kostyuk in the quarterfinals. Kostyuk. Uh, as I said, beat Tim a favor six two six one. Look, the the tennis has been great from Marta Kostyuk. This is the tournament where she made her breakthrough as a fifteen year old. Remember, back in what year was that? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. And when somebody's so ahead of the curve like that at fifteen, I'm quite sure if you if you go back to twenty eighteen and that breakthrough, people and I include us in that, we're probably saying Miran type things oh, yeah. about her.
2: Massive hype job.
1: Um, and it's all just faded, hasn't it? Um, but she's still incredibly young. She's a Ukrainian, pl- Ukrainian player. She has dealt with, obviously, a heck of a lot in the past couple of years. And she has been outspoken about it. She's she's taken it on her shoulders to... to to bear that burden. Um, and I think it's a pretty incredible story, really, that she's she's reached the quarterfinals here. Just to, she's She's been in prominence in tennis in the last couple of years, but not for her tennis. Just as a tennis player, we'd started to leave her out of the conversation about talented, on-the-rise youngsters and started to put her into the... They also ran conversations, sort of there, and talented, and good, and but not kind of. Oh, eyes emoji on that. Um, and I think this is really impressive from her.
3: Yeah, I I, I completely agree. And three Ukrainian women in the, in the last sixteen of this tournament, first time that's ever happened at a Slam. There's obviously a chance for two more to reach the quarters, along along with Kostyuk tomorrow. And yeah, there is just this tension between all this success coming at a, at a time of sort of great sort of personal trauma for them, you know, in in their lives, given given what's happening in Ukraine. Um, some very interesting quotes that Kostiuk gave to the WTA in the back end of last year, talking about her new coach, uh, who, who she linked up with at Wimbledon last year, Sandra Zanivska, who used to coach Petra Martic. And Kostiuk said one of the best things about her is that she's a woman <laughs> and she said that we can have sort of frank conversations and conversations where we understand each other. And I can, I just feel able to open up to her more than I have done with male coaches. And if I did, did so with male coaches, they might not talk back to me. And, you know, that's, that's not to say that all male coaches would be like that, but sort of Kostyuk's experience, she's found it a lot easier to talk to, sandra zanivska than she had her other coaches and i just thought that was that was interesting especially and it sort of ties in with with what we're saying here that you know Kostic's going to be feeling a lot of heavy heavy emotions right now and, and will have done ever since the the invasion of ukraine and it, it does feel like she's got an outlet for those now with with this coaching partnership and it didn't it didn't work straight away they linked up after Wimbledon she had a she had a horrible American hardcourt summer but she sort of knew that she was feeling better and you know now the now it really seems to be paying off and and this has been a an unexpected I would say but really impressive run and I like her game she's she's incredibly athletic Mm. and can can defend so well but also has has some weapons and, and and can hurt players and I think that'll be look. I think Goff will win I think she's just in, she's not losing to anyone really that isn't Igor Sviantec or Jessica Bagula at the moment Coco Goff but I think that could be a lot I think that could be a fun match with a lot of sort of dynamic athletic rallies I'm I'm looking forward to that one and yeah good on Marta Kostya. mm
1: I didn't I hadn't heard those quotes um and I think that's. I'm so I'm so pleased to hear a player express that because, it's always a, it, it's always something that's on my mind. The lack of, just the lack of females in female players' teams. They don't have to be coaches. They can be fitness track, whatever. Like there are so many exclusively male boxes, and th- this, it's. It's an incredibly all consuming sometimes lonely life being a touring tennis player. You're not going home every night and going out for dinner with your mates this is those that's your life the people mm. in that team and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a woman have being on a team with men. I sit here on a team <laughs> with men. it's fantastic it's uh it's it's brilliant but a, I'm pretty. I'm pretty lucky with the with the men I'm on a team with, um, and I'm not saying that there aren't great men out there. It, but it, it's it can sometimes be a very testosterone heavy vibe in those players' boxes. And sometimes I look at them and I think, God, don't you, don't you ever just crave some female energy? Or maybe they don't because they don't know what they're missing but it's a concern for me because of that element of that being everything, you know, mm. and maybe they're going home and calling their sister or their best mate or whatever it is, but it's not the same. And hearing Marta Kostjik express that is, is, um, it's quite heartening really. And I'm, I'm, pleased for her. I really am. Um So that's day eight at the Australian Open. What does day nine have in store? Rod Laver Arena starts with Victoria Azarenka against Diana Yastremska, another Ukrainian player, qualifier. Then Nuno Borges plays on Rod Laver Arena. <laughs> Nuno Borges. He, he was
2: all over the front pages of the Portuguese newspapers today. Love great great to see.
1: He plays Daniel Medvedev tomorrow and then the night session is Carlos Alcaraz against Mirmir Ketsmanovic and that is followed by Zheng Chunwen against Ossian Dodan. That match should not be second after Alcaraz Ketsmanovic. Anyway, uh, Margaret Court... Oh no, sorry. The second court tomorrow starts with doubles. Then we have Nozhkovich Vitalina. I am fascinated by this match. So many people today members of the media a couple of podcast fans that have come up to us and said hi i've asked whether norzkova can can back this up and we have just unilaterally said unilaterally said i don't know
2: can't wait to <laughs> we'll,
1: find we'll out find, we're it's, we're about to find out um, it's, it's a tough
3: opponent to back up a big win it again.
2: is you know i i hovered over um this little uh, Teaser for for the newsletter. I did hover over Noskova, just thinking, with the predictions, maybe she's one of those players that that has it. But what a what a tough task beating Alina Svitolina. The way she's playing. I mean, it's hard enough. It used to be hard enough anyway. Hmm. But now she's made of something else. That and there's her approach is so much more aggressive. She feels like a different player, Svitolina, to the one. From two years ago, three years ago. Mm. And uh and so ultimately I, I just didn't have the confidence. <laughs> 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 or the nerve.
1: Uh and then it's not a it's not a night session on the second court tomorrow. It's a sort of twilight session, isn't it? It's a not before four PM. Uh Zverev against Norrie. Never beaten him. I don't think he's ever won a set Norrie off Zverev.
2: He's never got close.
1: Can he do it tomorrow? I
2: d- <laughs> I just think I think he's going to play like he did against cassparood i don't I don't know whether it'll be enough um, I kind of think it might be because i just I was so taken by him I, as I said last night What um, a
1: journey David's been on. Yeah. He was a Manorino guy <laughs> now he's a Norrie guy.
2: I'm all for second chances, <laughs> third chances, fifth chances. Uh,
1: John Kane Arena tomorrow is where you'll, fi- where you'll find Arta Kazoo and Hubert Herkatch. What a contrast in vibe between those two. <laughs> I'm and looking forward to it. <laughs> then it's Jasmine Paulini against Anna Kalinskaya. And there's all sorts of doubles happening about the place tomorrow. Hadadmire and Townsend, they're in uh, doubles action on the Kia Arena. Um, juniors are happening it's all it's all happening Uh, but that's where the singles matches are tomorrow and we'll be back with a podcast to talk about them we have a mascot that mascot is Usher hello to Usher thank you for being a wonderful mascot we have our mascots. I've got Darwin still can't believe it we got points today oh my gosh. I was going to say when were you going to bring that up just feels like such a long way back. It's,
2: it's, it's the first time that I can now no longer hide behind your appalling record because I think I've got about five in a row wrong. So.
1: Matt's got Hyder and Soma.
2: I do, yes. And
3: don't have points today because I was head to head with you.
1: Mm. Which, you know, generally Which speaking, a good play. I thought was a good tactic. Not today. David
0: <laughs> David and
1: Francis. Look, it... it Francis, Darwin, Haida, Soma. It's been a tough week.
2: Yeah, we've not exactly covered ourselves in glory on your your behalf, But still, there's still time.
1: There's still time. So many points still on the line. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have top folks and executive producers Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff. And I'm very sad to say that once again, in lieu of shout outs, we have a tribute this time to another dearly departed um, member of the tennis community one you might very well know alan mills the longtime former referee of wimbledon much beloved in the tennis world he passed away david a couple of days ago aged 88
2: yeah uh, and he really was so quintessentially ever present at, at, at wimbledon throughout my whole life i don't I don't remember watching Wimbledon as a child without him as the referee, without him. And and of course, the the role was so much more visible back then because there wasn't a roof. So (laughs) every time a little bit of rain was in the air, he would just appear on the end of the court and have a look up. The rain and try to work out (laughs) when to pull them off and whatnot. His his
1: autobiography was called "Lifting the Covers," wasn't it? (laughs) Yes, it's just so perfect.
2: And you know, he was he was somebody that John McEnroe, uh, Alan was telling us in in a podcast that we did together in 2015. He, He told told me that told you and I that that John McEnroe called him onto the court. It was the first time that Alan had ever been summoned to a court. And it was by an 18-year-old John McEnroe. He'd never met McEnroe before. And he went on there and, and he had to deal with him. And um, he had his moments. You know, he had to, everybody did with McEnroe back then particularly. But he's, he said in that interview with us, he said, you know, the secret was to just give him an answer immediately. Don't have a conversation. Just Just stick to your principles, stick to your guns. And then he would accept it. And and he did it with such kind of calm, such a calm manner, and but forthright at the same time. And he had some humour. You know, John loved him. John respected him, and and he was so warm when Alan retired at that Champions Tour event at the Royal Albert Hall in 2015. Um, and and Alan, on a personal note, was always very welcoming to me. Like I said, to me, he was. He was the guy off the telly, you know, when I was a kid. And, and I came in and he was he was always really friendly and welcoming to me and kind. Um, and then he appeared on this podcast with Catherine and I on our end-of-season awards. I actually had a listen to it last night. Um, we, 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 we're linking to it in our newsletter tonight. Um, and, and, yes, we, you and I made our cases for yeah, Player of the Year. He was and the
1: adjudicator he the, f- of the um, the end-of-season awards.
2: yeah and he was brilliant at it and he really reala- realized what, what role we wanted him to mm. to, to, to play and, he, and he, he hammed it up with us and, and he was great fun and um, yeah, he'll be really, really missed and, and, and really fondly thought of in the future, you know, he, he, he will be warmly remembered.
1: He certainly will. Yeah, Simon Briggs has written a, a lovely tribute to him, hasn't he? Um, and and speaking of speaking of lovely tributes, um, just on the subject of our, our colleague Mike Dixon that that passed away so suddenly this week, there is a, a lovely tribute to him, uh, by Tim Hemman in the Daily Mail that has appeared today and uh it it's incredibly heartfelt. He doesn't do doesn't do emotion like that very often, Tim. Um and uh, it's, it's very touching indeed. Um, so that's that's it for day eight of the Australian Open. We'll be back with day nine tomorrow. We can't promise better hype, jo- hype jobs, but uh, we will match match dependent. We'll <laughs> we'll try, uh, and we'll speak to you then.